All right, 2 Kings chapter 4 in these last 14 minutes of this message. <laughs> it doesn't feel like it, though, does it? Presence of God always feels like a lot, sort of like quicker. But we've been here nearly an hour, people. All right. A certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha, saying, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord. Okay, so this is my miraculous provision message, fitting into your theme, your campaign on the wheels of finances, financial excellence. Okay, so here the lady has a problem in her life, big problem. Her husband has died, and he was a minister. He feared the Lord. He was a servant of God. Some commentators think it was Obadiah, the guy who fed the, the priests, uh, the, the, the other prophets when they were being hunted down by Jezebel. And he got himself into debt for looking after these people. So, but whether or not that's the case, the fact is she's got a problem. She's got a big debt that she can't pay, the bank. And the bank in those days could come along and not just claim your house, they could claim your kids and sell them as slaves. Imagine the Commonwealth Bank doing that, you know? Yeah. <laughs> your house isn't worth enough. We're going to take your kids too. And, uh, and they'd sell them off. And it was legit. You could do that sort of thing. That was how they did. And so her great first, first great lesson that we can learn from this, this woman is that in her grief, she didn't raise a fist against God and say, why did you let this happen? We've been in church every week. My husband has been serving the Lord. He's been preaching. He's been running connect groups. He's been helping out with building the house. How come you let him die and left me with a big debt? How could that work? How could bad things happen to good people like us? We thought that if you follow Jesus and, and, and look after the house of God and serve the Lord, then everything's just going to go right. But that's never the case, people. You serve the Lord, everything's going to go wrong sometimes. It's proof that you're doing something right. The, the size of the trial tells you the size of the outcome and the worth and the value of it. So her lesson was what she didn't do, blame God, but what she did do, she ran to God, not away from Him. That's a big lesson to learn. To turn your shoulder against God and say, well, if that's how it's going to turn out, I'm out of here. Wrong idea. God gives us problems to get our attention. He allows problems in our lives so that we'll turn around and, and seek Him at a deeper level because the pain of the problem surfaces in us an area of our life that would never come to the surface unless we had that pain. We get to a level of desperation that we never had before. And believe me, in Australia, apathy is, is a common problem, leading to indolence, leading to depression, leading to even uh, suicide. People just, just too uh, non-desperate about life. And looking for something to make them desperate, it can lead us into all sorts of problems. So this woman runs to the prophet and says, the creditor is coming to take my two sons to be his slave. Oh, I get stirred by this. I want to see a teenage revival all around the world. I want to see what has happened to youth movements in Australia. My God, they used to be so vibrant and vital. I would pray that in this room tonight, there would be one young prophet of God who would rise up and bring a teenage revival 
to the nation of Australia. We used to have 20,000 kids rock up the stadiums with Youth Alive and so many other things. It, it just doesn't happen these days. What has happened? That it is the creditor who's coming to claim the next generation. He's trying to steal them away from the church. But if there was a young man or a young woman like a Jonathan Edwards, like some young 19-year-old who can bring revival with them to this generation, I'm not going to be able to do it. Me turning up in a stadium, they're going to say, no, any teenager going to say, who's going to listen to that old <laughs> F-A-R-T? Who's going to listen to that old? You were all thinking it in your head. The deal is, the deal is, it'll take a young man or a young woman to speak to this young generation and say, the creditor is coming. The creditor is coming. He's trying to steal a next generation from us. And he's after their soul with all kinds of ideas. In America, a survey was done recently and 40% of young millennials identified with the LGBTQ generation even if they were not. They just identified with them. They did the same survey in the church, 30% of millennials identified with the LGBTQ. We cannot afford to lose in the next generation, people. We cannot afford to let deception rule their minds and steal their hearts and distort their spirit so they turn their back on the church forever. A revival has to happen and we need people who will speak the truth in love, who will call sin, sin, and call it like it is so that men and women can be set free from darkness and torment and deception and delusion. We're living in the age of the great delusion, people, where evil is called good and good is called evil. And you and I used to be the good guys, now we're the bad guys. We're the people we used to call what was immoral, now we're considered immoral. If we find ourselves making statements of any kind that would, uh, would sound like discrimination, it's called hate speech. But you need to be discerning as parents, as young people, between what is right and wrong. Right is right, wrong is wrong. You can't blend them. There is a gap between them. You can't join heaven and hell. You can't join sin and righteousness. It's impossible. There's a gulf between them. And, and sin will always hate the righteous. If you're looking to be a people pleaser, somebody everybody loves, you've got the wrong religion. Because the, the unbeliever is always going to hate the believer. We don't hate back because we're not called to that. But you just got to accept the fact you're never going to be able to reconcile an irreconcilable situation. We got to live with it and bring people across the bridge of Jesus. Amen. The creditor is coming, people. All right. So Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? He didn't know what to do. He's a prophet. Shouldn't he know what to do? No, a prophet has a gift of finding out what to do. And to find out what to do, you got to ask, what shall I do? When you move into presumption and say, I know what I will do, you won't hear God. But if you say, what shall I do? Which is what I do pretty well every time I stand on a stage. I say, what do you want? What's up? I'm not saying I'm going to do this now and then I'm going to do that. I'm not here to serve my opinion or my intention. I'm here to serve His intention. If you're a servant of God, serve Him. That's what this prophet did. What shall I do? That's a great way to start the working of a miracle. 
You got a financial problem, you're a business person, you're a banker, you're a, a real estate salesperson, you know what to do in the situation, but don't say that. Say, what shall I do? David said that as a military, a premier military uh, strategist. When he hid everything had been stolen from him by the Amalekites. He could have said, I know what to do. I'll go out and I'll take. He stopped. He said, what shall I do? We get arrogant in our successes. Joshua did once he had conquered Jericho. He looked at a little town. He said, I know what to do. I'll just go and take it. He forgot that before he took Jericho, he looked up. He said, what shall I do? And God showed him. Every step of the way, look up. God wants to be involved in your life. He wants to hold your hand. He wants to walk with you as a father and a son, as a father and a daughter. What shall I do for you? Okay, so he gets an answer. He says, tell me, what do you have in the house? He didn't know that either. Number one, he didn't know what to do. He didn't know. So when you don't know, ask questions. He says, what, tell me, what do you have in the house? Her answer, and it's awesome. She says, I have nothing. She said, your maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. Are the scriptures coming up? No. Okay. Oh, they are. Okay. And I said, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? Your maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. I am so overwhelmed by that answer because everybody thinks they got nothing. All of us think we haven't got what it takes for a miracle. All of us start with, oh, my, my, little, my little gift. <laughs> you know, what have I got? I can make clay dolls or, yeah, I can bake, you know, like muffins. <laughs> what would that be? Well, tell me this. What do you think your mother's recipe of fried chicken with 13 spices what would that be worth to a 65-year-old man who feels like his life is over? Rocking back and forth on his rocking chair called the Colonel. I go down to that little restaurant down there and cook up my mum's chicken fried thing just for something to do. So he did. Became the most popular item on the menu. Thought, oh, I might start my own shop. Kentucky Fried Chicken, KFC. Out he goes, starts his own shop. Got lines of people. He says, somebody else could run one of these. Next thing, he's got a franchise all over the world. And a lot of chickens have died. <laughs> he could have said, I got nothing. I got nothing. Your little something can be an incredible something. Oh, let me tell you, people, it's in the house. You think it's over there. You think it's up in Brisbane, down in Brisbane or in Melbourne or in Sydney. You don't think it couldn't work here on the Sunshine Coast. Why not? You will find that, that the grass you're standing on has an amazing opportunity in it. I read the story of a guy who was, <clears throat> he heard about oil in Alaska. And he lived in Minnesota, in America, and he had a dairy farm. And so he sold the farm to go in the search of oil, or might have been gold, up in Alaska, and never found gold. 
Never found it. No, it was oil. Sorry, it was oil. Yeah, he went up there and, he, and he's looking for oil. But then he came back to Minnesota, checked out his farm, and the person who bought it off him, when he was leading the cows to the milking shed, they had to go across these boards in the marsh because it was all thick black and oozy. And they walked into the, and he, and he looked in there and did some investigation and found there was an oil well right in the backyard of the farmer. And he thought, I have to go over there to get it. It was right there. What's in your house? Nothing. Don't have a low view of yourself. What you've got in your house, God can take a hold of. It doesn't matter what's in the house. That's what, that's what the message is. What have you got in the house? Because it doesn't matter. God can get a hold of this. And she says, ah, I got nothing but a jar of oil. So he says, quick, go borrow empty vessels everywhere. Get them in the house. Get empty vessels in the house. Can you hear what I'm saying, people? Because as long as there are empty vessels in the house, oil will keep flowing. So get some empty vessels, get them from your neighbors. And when you've come in, shut the door between, behind you and your sons and then pour it into those vessels and set aside the full ones. So she went from him, shut the door behind her and her sons who brought the vessels out and she poured. It came to pass when the vessels were full, she said, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not another. So the oil stopped. If she'd kept on bringing empty vessels, if she'd gotten a hold of a Japanese oil tanker, There'd be a skeleton today of a woman holding a jar of oil, still filling up that tanker. Supernatural provision. She had debts she couldn't pay. She was going to lose her children. Out of a little flask of oil, God said, just start pouring. Start giving. Start giving out what you've got, and it'll keep pouring through you. And she kept pouring and pouring and pouring and pouring and pouring and pouring and pouring. Bring me another vessel. Bring me another vessel. Mom, they're all full. So she goes to the prophet. She says, what will I do now? Smart girl. Keeps going back to God. Show me what to do. He says, go sell the oil. Pay off your debt and live for the rest of your life on the rest. Her problem set her up for a miracle that blessed her for the rest of her life. She became a multimillionaire from all the oil that came out of that vessel that was enough to look after her and her boys for the rest of their days. God's got answers for you. He is a provider. It's His nature. He provides manna in the desert, water out of a rock, sandals for their feet, fish and, and bread for a multitude, always providing. El Shaddai. And he's not El Cheapo. Best wine at a wedding. At the end of the wedding, 180 gallons of the best wine. Ridiculous. But that's what God is. Ridiculous. My cup runs over. Hey, stop pouring, God. It's running over. He says, I just like being abundant. That's God's nature. To pour out abundantly into your life. He loves you. It's a good pleasure to give you the kingdom. I hope I'm tweaking some of your thinking tonight. And you're going like, really, God? I just thought he wants to eke out one or two dollars every now and then. 
for me to live in a shoebox. And no. You're his kid. Be embarrassing to him to. It's embarrassing to me if my son goes next door with a broken down bike, bell that doesn't work, no seat, tires flat. My dad gave me this. It's like some Christians thinking, look what God gave us. It's horrible. I think the devil gave you that. God gives with blessing. People hate it. They'll criticize you for it. But you're not here for the fear of man or to get the praises of man. You're here for God. So God, God, Joseph's father made him a many-colored coat. Did he hang it in the wardrobe? No, he put it on. He wore favor. And his brothers hated him for it. Sold him into Egypt for it. But he was more interested in honoring his father than in carrying the favor of his brothers. You and I are here to be blessed so that we can be a blessing. We can bless others. If we're poor, we can't help anybody. Might be able to say some nice comforting words and write them a little note. But to pay for their hospital visit, to pay their rent for a year, to buy the solar mother a car, that's helping people. And that's what God is looking to you and I to be. Let's all stand here tonight as I come to a close in Jesus' name. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the Word of God and the power of your Holy Spirit touching lives here tonight, healing the sick and bringing provision into our lives supernaturally. We give you all the praise. And right here, right now, people, I want you to, I want you to look to the Lord and say, God, it's in my house. The answer for my life is right within my grasp. It's not beyond me. I have the answer. Help me see it. Help me understand it. Help me work it in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Can you give the Lord a great clap offering tonight? Thank you. <laughs>